just because Brian was one of these guys, and it's happened to me as a worker bee so many times. I pray for somebody, and I go, ha, God can't reach that guy, and I give up. So I just encourage you, if you have this paper, to read this article, because not only has God changed Brian's life. I talked to Brian yesterday afternoon late because I had to see him to get this shirt. And he said, you know, I feel like Jesus has me in a big hug. And he says, I'm just so excited about Jesus' love. He said, at the smallest opportunity, I tell people about him. And I'm just floored by that. Not only has God changed Brian, but God has changed his family as well. Maddie, no bones about it, has devoted her life to Christ. And so it's just wonderful to watch what God does. And as worker bees, oftentimes we forget that. And here's one thing that God brought to my attention just a few minutes ago, is I classify myself as a worker bee, but nowhere in Scripture are God's children referred to or categorized or characterized as worker bees. We are children. We are ambassadors. We are soldiers, not worker bees. And I think a lot of us have been worker bees, and we've been, you know, we've been, now we've been hiveless kind of for a while. And I think that we have, I have trusted God for the things that I can't do. And I think in our church as a whole, we've gone, we don't have the ability to change people's lives, and we have trusted God to change lives. And has God not done that? Let's look at ourselves and see what God has done. You know, the other thing is we've been always kind of an undercover church. People have found us. God has brought us people, some invited, some who have just had to puzzle as to where we meet. And he's brought people, and he's brought the people he's desired. So there's things that we need to be grateful for here and see that we often miss as worker bees. So we've trusted God for things that we can't do, but oftentimes as worker bees, we've shouldered a lot of stuff. We do the work. We, you know, we go to the flowers. We back and forth and back and forth. And I think God is challenging us to trust him for more. Not that changing lives is a small thing. With God, all things are possible. And I guess my question for us is, why don't we trust God for all things? Not just the things we can't do ourselves. God spent this week, this month, stripping away our confidence in what we have and in what we can do. So we have an opportunity here to see what God can do and trust Him for not just the stuff we can't do. Our abilities are diminishing every day. So that would be my challenge to us. And the other thing I want to mention is that to take a line from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan is on the move. Or to put it in an older vernacular, the horses are out of the barn. It's already happened. And God is out there in front of us, and he is doing stuff. We need to pay attention to follow. 
To hearken back again to the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, remember Mr. Tumnus when he found Lucy beside the road and he decided to invite her in? Remember Mr. Beaver when he saw the kids in the woods and the snow and he said, Are you sons and daughters of Adam and Eve? And he decided to bring them to his house. Aslan was already on the move. Things were in motion. I don't think Mr. Beaver knew right then that he was going to have to pack up a few things and flee for his life. Mr. Tumnus probably didn't know that he was going to be turned into stone. But there were things were going on, and these faithful ones were part of it. And let's be part of it. And not to diminish her ministry here, I think I have to introduce another worker bee, Heidi Polly. Well, I haven't been around as long as John Norlin, but uh, my husband Scott and I have considered ourselves members of Windsor Community Church for about six years now. And when we first came to this church, we were kind of in an odd place. We did not have any unity as to how or where we were going to worship God, and our children had not had any consistency in their lives up until that point. And i got to tell you that Windsor Community Church and God really met us in that place through a variety of ministries in the church, such as children's ministry, the worship, women's studies, retreats, community group. It has just been a blessing to our family. And we really feel that our relationship with God has grown stronger and deeper and that God has been equipping us to go outside of this church and grow those relationships with people there, too. When we first came to this church, our community group had given us a spiritual gifts inventory And for me, I guess I am a worker bee. Service was just right at the top. So thank you for that illustration, John. So it just seemed natural that I would plug in and just be about God's work in here. And I've been involved with the children's ministry probably for about the last four or five years. I know my husband's been involved with sound and worship, and I'm getting involved in some other things as well. And it is a blessing to serve in this church. It really is. And it's cool to give to others what's been given to me and to see how God is working in all our lives through those ministries. But I would not be truthful with you if I did not admit that at times that service and ministry doesn't always feel joyful. And I had a conversation with one of the children's ministry coordinators not too long ago telling her that I thought maybe I shouldn't be teaching the children anymore, that I was tired and that I didn't think that I was making a difference in their lives. And last week I had a class with my students and I had them around the table. And this is God, you guys. Uh, One of my little students said, Mrs. Polly, you're my favorite teacher. And I said, really? Why is that? Well, because you bring the best snacks. I said, oh, is that all? He says, no. He says, you teach me about Jesus. And I thought, oh, God, thank you for that little glimpse into your glory, for reminding me that you are so much bigger that it's not about what I can do, it's about what he can do. And i got to tell you that God has really been preparing my heart here in the last few weeks. I'm just full of anticipation for what God is going to do with this church and with even my family. You know, even though we're here at Resurrection Fellowship and it's our temporary home, Windsor Community Church, I think, is still alive and kicking But I think it's going to be so much bigger than even we can imagine. And I never want to stop being in awe of God's greatness. And with that, I want to bring up Steve. 
Good morning, brothers and sisters. You know, it is truly a privilege to be able to come before you, but I must admit that this is a, a daunting challenge because they asked me to speak about the future of Windsor Community Church, and I have to make sure that no flesh gets in the way of that because it's so easy to start to picture the things that I would want as we go forward. But that's not what it's all about. It's what God wants for us. And so let me share with you today what God has put on my heart. And I've shared this with some of the leaders, and I think it is the heart of Windsor Community Church. The future, of course, unlike the past and the present we just talked about, those are measurable things. that We can quantify those things. We can look at the past because it's happened. We can look at today because it's here, and we can feel it, we can sense it. But the future sometimes is scary because it's an unknown, and we don't know what's going to happen, and our imagination starts to run wild, and we start to come up with all kinds of ideas about things that could happen, and a lot of those are negative things. God doesn't want that for us, and that's why he keeps telling us not to fret about the future. Concentrate on the day because the day has enough cares of its own. Of course, our future is going to be based on where we're at today. We have to factor in the past, the life lessons that God has given us, and we have to have a plan, and more importantly, we have to have a commitment to that plan. And that's where our part comes in. But we have to ask ourselves, what plan? And more importantly, we have to ask ourselves, whose plan? We don't want it to be ours. We want it to be God's. One of the scriptures that came to us while we were beginning this capital campaign was Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. If that isn't encouraging, I don't know what is. God's already got the plan. We just have to figure out what it is. The interesting thing about God's plans is he doesn't reveal the whole plan. He gives you glimpses, okay? And the reason he gives you glimpses in your life is he wants to give you hope for where he's taking you. Glimpses of the glory land. So flashes will come to excite you, to keep you on the path, to keep you going. But the whole plan's not there. And the evidence that he doesn't reveal the whole plan, I think, is, I don't know about you, but on May 21st, God did not call me and tell me that the following day our building was somehow going to be relocated. All right, did anybody get that message? I don't think so. Praise God, Joanne Tofsey got the message about 30 seconds before it disappeared. And how about, say, a month ago? Did God call any of you and tell you that maybe you want to relocate some of your money in your 401k programs because the financial institutions that we so desperately hold on to and have faith in was going to disappear, go away? No, I don't think so. He doesn't reveal those things to us. So, you know, we don't have the crystal ball to see the future, but we have his word to depend upon. So where are we right now today? What are we going to build on? Well, we're sitting here in a borrowed building that God graciously gave to us, but for a season. We have to remember that. This is for a season. 
And we're launching into a $1.25 million fundraising effort. And we're doing it at a time when the U.S. economy is hitting one of its greatest slumps in decades. Kind of sounds scary. Some people might think we're nuts. Why would we do this now? Some people think we should wait. Some people think we should just quit altogether. Maybe God doesn't want us here. You know, when David faced Goliath, a lot of the people that saw that confrontation saw David as a shepherd boy. But God looked down and he saw a king. We must never put God in a box. We have to remember how he views us and how he views the possibilities that he set before us. So what does God want to do with Windsor Community Church? Well, I'm going to share my heart, and I need to say that some of the things I'm going to say are probably going to convict, and I may step on a few toes, and hopefully it's not because of what I'm saying in the flesh. So if I offend anybody or you have trouble with any part of the message, please see me afterwards, and if it was something that I said in my flesh, then I will repent. And if it's something that God says, then let's deal with it together. Okay, where is Windsor Community Church today? I think if we look at what we have, we have a pastor board that is extremely true to God's Word. They're faithful. They try to preach God's Word exactly the way it's written. They don't want to add to it or subtract from it. Now they're humans. They, they have failings. And so they will make statements occasionally that might be on the edge but they always repent of that and we deal with it. So we are a faithful, God-centered church. A great thing. I think we're good in the area of community groups and reaching out to our community. And that is a wonderful thing. We need to build on that. I think there's some infrastructure improvements we need to make, just the way we do business and the things behind the scenes that you don't see. But those will happen. We have good people here. That will all come. In terms of 700 Automation Drive, our old building, that was a great place to meet. It was a comfortable place, but perhaps too comfortable. I think we had gotten complacent. We were comfortable going there, having our coffee, having our service, and then leaving and coming back a week later. And maybe that's not what God had planned for us. There's two areas that I think we really were lacking in. One was our prayer focus. Prayer is absolutely critical to the body of Christ because it's through our prayer that we have direct communication with the throne room through our Lord Jesus. And that's where we develop our intimacy. We have to have intimacy. And the other area that I think we're really lacking in, and this is because, for the most part, we have avoided the subject, is stewardship. And that always scares people. And I think we backed off on it a little bit because of that. But that's not what God wants. So we need to bolster ourselves in these two areas, in prayer and stewardship. And I do believe that we're making great strides in the area of prayer. We've seen a lot of things happen just this past year as God's been putting that on our heart to become a praying body, that my house will be a house of prayer. Our leaders meet here every Sunday before service. We praise God. We ask for his guidance for the service. We pray that it would touch hearts of the people who are here. This is all good and wonderful. Our community groups are starting to have regular prayer sessions. This is glorious. I mean, I can't tell you how sweet 
some of our community groups have been where we just get together to start to pray and ask for God to be there and, and do whatever is necessary. It's wonderful. You, you want to go to community group because of that. We have individuals that meet during the week just by themselves and, and in pairs, and they get together and pray for our church needs, for our town, for our state, our nation, and the world. And it's wonderful. Great prayer warriors. And we have the prayer requests put in a box every week. Those are prayed over by the leadership and the body. These are all positive steps, and I know that God is pleased with this, and we've got to keep that up. But then there's stewardship. And the problem with stewardship is the minute we bring up the subject, everyone figures, oh, no, they want my money. And the old lockbox goes on the wallet, and everybody cringes. Well, that's not what stewardship's about, and hopefully that's the theme of my talk, and we'll see where we go with that. But if you have that reaction, and quite frankly, most of us do, so you know, you're not alone at all in that. We've all been there. But if you have that reaction, you know, it's my money, and they want it, that's an outward sign of an inward spiritual battle. It's a battle going on, and it needs to be won. And the only way you can win it is to surrender. It's one of the few wars where you need to give up. And let God take it. All right. Well, if you look into God's Word, I mean, I don't care where you turn. Just open your Bible, turn to a page, and I bet you within probably a page or two of reading, you'll find something to do with money or greed or wealth or material possessions because God's Word is full of it. Why? Because we concentrate on it so heavily when we live in this material world, especially in a nation like we have. He says you can't serve two masters. It's not that it's difficult. You can't. He says you cannot serve God and mammon, mammon being money. Mammon is a small g God. Where your treasures are, there your heart is also. The love of money is the root of all evil. No, it's not money is the root of all evil. The love of money. It's how you view it. It's your attitude towards it. And it's not some evil. It's all evil. It's the root of all evil. That's a pretty powerful statement. That just shows you how much money tugs on our heart. And it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, so if God owns everything, why does he want my money? Well, the answer is simple, and we talk about it, but I'm not sure it's sunk in yet. He doesn't want your money. And he certainly doesn't need your money if he owns everything. But he needs your heart. And if your heart is tied to money, if that's where your treasures are, that's where your heart is. And he doesn't have that. And he's a jealous God. He doesn't want to share you with any other gods. So we have to ask ourselves, okay, he wants my heart. So how much am I going to share? What percentage? Am I going to give him 10%? That's a good thing. That's a tithe. I'll tithe my heart. Okay? Because tithing, that's good. It's in the Bible. It's got to be good. No, I don't think that works. Well, how about 50%? Let's just let's go halves, Lord. You know, That's kind of a half-hearted approach. <laughs> well, Ananias and Sapphira tried that. And the outcome wasn't very good. So I don't recommend that we do that. Okay? So it's clear that God wants it all. Now, how important is stewardship and prayer? These are the keys to both our closeness through prayer 
and our dependency on God through stewardship. So if you want to be close to Him and you want to be dependent on Him, we've got to get here as a body. We have to find our way. It's our way of showing God that He matters to us and that the world doesn't. We're in the world, not of it. This is not our home. Now, I believe, for many reasons, and God's put this on my heart, that we're entering into a time of judgment of the nations. Some of the things you see around us. And when judgment happens, God's word says it always begins with the church first. And it's not as severe as the judgment for the world, but it starts with the church first. And it's always aimed at purifying his people, refining them, getting them ready, and helping them to come to a point of obedience. We need to be girded up. Why? Because things are going to happen in the world that are going to cause people to have to make decisions. Are they going to go for God, or are they going to stay in the flesh and work it out themselves? And God's people need to be ready to be able to go there with the message that he gave us and share it with those people. And our usefulness to God will have no significance whatsoever if we continue to cling to all the small g-gods of the world. We cannot hold on to the world and be useful for God. We have to surrender our hearts. Now, I'd like to take you back to the scripture, Jeremiah 29, because there's more to it. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not 10%, not 50%, all. And when you do that, he's there for us, and he will open the floodgates of heaven and start to pour forth from his storehouse and give us everything we need. Now, if God hadn't allowed that tornado on May 22nd, we wouldn't be sitting here right now having this talk, and we wouldn't be starting a capital campaign. And I know that many of you probably think that that would be a wonderful thing. We wouldn't have to fight this. The way I look at it, I say, thanks be to God. Because he has given us the greatest opportunity, I believe, in Windsor Community Church history to grow close to him. He's put us right in the right position at the right time. The fact that the economy is tanking while we're trying to raise money merely means that when it happens, when he does whatever he's going to do with us, no man here can take credit for it. The wealthiest person amongst us cannot possibly dent what we're trying to do. So it has to be a God thing. And it's easy for us in our flesh to view a capital campaign as just the raising of money to build a building. And I hope deep in my heart it's so much more than that. And that we catch this vision as we go forward. Because we cannot do it in the flesh. We cannot do it with man's economy. We have to do it with God's economy. In man's economy, we reward those people and we exalt those people who have the most money. In God's economy, 
He exalts those who have the most sincere commitment of the heart because he doesn't care about your money unless you're holding on to it and it becomes your God. The great news about God's economy is that every one of us here, everyone from the smallest to the largest, the youngest to the oldest, we all have equal share in that. Because every one of us has one heart to give. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank or if you have no money in the bank because it's not based on dollars. It's measured in our willingness to sacrifice. And so I ask, as we go forward during the week and the coming months, please search your hearts. God already knows your hearts, so... You know, he, he's already on that page with you. But we need to search our hearts. We need to spend intimate time with God. We need to get in our prayer closets one-on-one. We need to go before Him. And we need to let Him reveal things to us where we need to straighten up, get our act together, be prepared, get girded up. We need to ask Him to reveal glimpses of the plan both the plan that he has for you as individuals and the plan that he has for Windsor Community Church. Because it's through that you'll gain hope and confidence and you'll get excited. You know, I've got a a cold, as you probably noticed. I was taking some Zycam the other day and I'd never taken that before, so I was reading the box. And it said, this product will make you excited You know, it says it may cause excitement, especially in children. And I'm thinking, oh, that's what we need. We need spiritual Zycam here. You know, I mean, we need to get excited about this. God is doing great things in our midst, and we need to ask him to start revealing just pieces of it, just enough to go after and keep us on track. We also need to ask the Holy Spirit to shine his light in those dark corners of our heart. Because we all have them. There's things we hold on to. There's little stuff that's been in there for a long time. It's kind of festering in those corners. Okay, we need to get that scrubbed out. So ask him to go in there and clean that up. And then remember the scripture that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. So all these things we worry about and how we're going to get there, how we're going to do it, he's already got that worked out. He wants you to seek the kingdom. A lot of people struggle with what the kingdom means. What is that? The kingdom of God. Just get, to get to heaven? Is that what it's all about? No, the kingdom of God, the word kingdom comes from two words. It means the dominion of the king. Our king is God. His dominion is everything. If we give it to him. And we want to be part of that kingdom. We want to be dominated by God. There's one other scripture that Gary brought up yesterday that really is important here. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm sure it's very familiar to many of you. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
Now, this abundantly stuff, okay, and beyond what we can think, that means we haven't even imagined what God wants to do yet. It's far more than a building. You know, there's been far too much focus on a building. We've got to get out of that mode. We've got spiritual growth that we need to be pursuing here. That's what this campaign is about. If he has your heart, the building will come. It's that simple. And we don't know what he's going to do. But even if we don't get a building, it's still good because it's God. And he has our heart. And we got where he wanted us to be. If we get a building, and I do believe we will. I'm not doubting that for a minute. If we get a building, we have to remember that that's wood, hay, and stubble. Or bricks and mortar. View it how you want. But on Judgment Day, that building's blowing out of here too. And it won't need a tornado. It's gone. All right? So the building's not the focus. And when we leave that building, or whatever building we're in, when that day happens, we're going to the New Jerusalem. We don't have to worry about buildings anymore. We're going to be walking on the streets of gold with other saints, and we are going to be in a place that is lit day and night by the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in his presence. Now, if that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't bring dove bumps to you, by the way, dove bumps are the Holy Spirit version of goosebumps, in case you don't know. So, all right. If you don't get excited about that, there's maybe more wrong with your heart than I thought. You know, you need to be jumping up and praising because God has wonderful things for our future and our church. But right now, we're in a campaign. We're going to raise money. And we're going to ask people to commit their hearts. But you've got to do some praying first. You've got to get before Him and you've got to do this right. And we're not asking for people to give large amounts that don't have large amounts. So the last slide we have up here is kind of the theme that we'd like to have people remember throughout. It's not equal giving, because we can't all give equally. But it's equal sacrifice. It's the level of the sacrifice. Are you with me? Can we do this thing? All right. Kevin. Thank you, Steve. We all have different personalities, and some of us don't have a cold today. Um, so thank you all for your attention. Just to, just to listen and hear a little bit about what our vision is, where we're headed with this plan. Um, I, I hope you're excited. If you're not, I am for you. Okay, so my personality is more of a spiritual as I can. Okay, so I can be excited. And I just want to tell you that... Spending time with these men and women, spending time with the people that have really been leading up this, the beginning of this capital campaign and preparing things, it has me excited. Not about a building, not about money we're raising, but about changed lives and how our hearts are being changed by struggling. Okay? This body has been praying since before 2001, before the church plant. The leaders has been praying about what to do with the building, whether we should move in it automation drive, whether we should move out of automation drive. We've been praying and praying what tools, whether it's a building or other things, should we use, should we have to reach lost souls in Windsor? What, what should we be doing? And we've been praying about the building, and God was saying, not yet, not yet, not yet. 
This tornado is a blessing. It's a gift from God. He's given us an opportunity to set our lives and our hearts free for him. Okay, And I want you all to seize this opportunity to be worker bees that are worker bees no longer, that are set free to serve Christ and to set the community on fire for him. We want to teach about Jesus. As Heidi said, we want to trust him with everything, as John had said. And as Steve started echoing with us, there's a cost. And that cost requires a struggle. And that struggle of stewardship, it's going to hurt and it's going to be a struggle during the next month or so. But let's take this one step at a time to prepare ourselves for that struggle. In the verse in Jeremiah that Steve was quoting, we need to pray. We need to prepare our hearts. And in Genesis 32, 28, Jacob struggled with God, and he got a new name. It was Israel. And he was renamed because he had striven with God and with men and had prevailed. Okay, so I want you to seize this opportunity to struggle in your hearts with prayer and stewardship. I challenge you on that, and that's what this next month will be. We're going to start with prayer. Okay, We don't want to be comfortable. We want to seize this opportunity to really strive and prevail for Christ here in Windsor. And we want to be set free by this prayer and stewardship. It's not just about a building. Some of you were here the first weeks that we met in this building. Who remembers what Rez's prayer for us is? Resurrection Fellowship is praying that during our time in this building, while we're preparing our hearts for a new building where God's leading us, that we would be set on fire and that we would double in size. That's their prayer for us, that we would double in size. And if we're struggling in our hearts to seek God and just to be set free by him, he's going to set us free. So these next two weeks are really a focus on prayer before we start really delving into stewardship. If you felt that struggle in your mind that Steve was challenging you on finances, hold on to that, but put it in the back. We're going to pray first. Okay? You got these letters, these letters that came out had these flyers, had that verse in Jeremiah on it. These flyers are reminding us to pray. We're going to have a prayer vigil Friday night, the 24th, 7 o'clock at Covenant Bible College in the chapel there. We, we want everybody to come. Come prayer with, pray with us. And we're going to have a 24-hour prayer vigil. There's some sheets that are going to be going around. We want you to sign up for times. And this is 24-hour, overnight. Yes, that means overnight. It's part of the struggle. We want to commit to this. We want to pray overnight on the 24th and 25th and then come back refreshed and, and take this up again. We're going to be making sure this vision is shared with everybody through the coming weeks. Reach anybody who's not here this week. These little prayer tent cards that came out, it's says pray without ceasing. And that's what we're going to do for 24 hours. We encourage you to do that daily as well. But this this is really a time in this prayer vigil to pray without ceasing and to make sure we don't run short on prayers. We want to hear your prayers. We want to hear the prayers from everybody in the community around us. We want to reach out. We're going to be getting prayer requests from throughout Windsor, throughout the world. There's elections. There's so many things to pray for. Please, there's prayer cards. We've got a bunch of prayer cards. We want everybody to take more than one prayer card. Fill those out. Turn them back in. Prayers for everything because we want to be focused on prayer during that time and during these weeks ahead as we lead up to the stewardship that's coming. So thank you for your attentiveness this morning. Let's, Let's take some time and just be excited in worship and to be set free in our hearts and our lives to live 
and to serve the great God we have. Let's all uh, stand up and celebrate. I know I'm excited from hearing all those testimonies. I don't even go here. Um, I'm ready to give, but uh, let's just let's just praise God together. Very good. What a sweet service. Thank you, everybody that participated. We are, uh, where we're at in First Peter is chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And I would just urge you to come next week. It's a, it's a great section of Scripture, as all Scripture is, that just talks about how we're called to suffer. As Christians, we are called to suffer. And it's inevitable that if we haven't suffered already, you're going to suffer at some point. And how Christ is our example in suffering how he willingly laid down his life, and he bore our sins on the cross. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And the context is, is, is employment. It really is talking about slaves and masters. But our present-day context is employees and employers. And how in society today we so feel like we have rights to be treated a certain way, don't we? You know, that we are, when we're good employees, that we have a right to be paid a certain way, a right to be treated a certain way. And the application goes way beyond employment. It goes into our homes. It goes into our neighborhoods. And we are a people in this country where when things don't go right, when we are suffering, we protest, we, we strike, we revolt. And Christ, when he suffered, he didn't do any of that. He just nodded, he kept quiet, and he willingly went to the cross. And I want to just read a couple of scriptures for you, and then we are going to praise the Lord some more. So I'm really excited about 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul starts this section of scripture off and says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, he says brothers, I'll say brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And that is the best news on the planet. And one of the things that the Lord's been teaching me lately, and I know Pastor Chris has been learning this as well, is that the gospel... You know, it sounds trite. I understand the gospel is for today, and it's for me, and it's for you. And we're to preach the gospel of first importance to ourselves every day. And this uh, this little book here that I've been spending lots of time in called The Cross-Centered Life, it says, Paul is pointing to us the one transcendent truth that should define our lives. In the midst of our various responsibilities and many possible areas of service in the kingdom of God, One overreaching truth should motivate all of our work and affect every part of who we are. And that's that Christ died for our sins. That is the best news on the planet. And because he died for our sins, everything else is a good day. Everything else is a good day. The gospel, writes Jerry Bridges, is not only the most important message in all the history, 
it is the only essential message in all of history. For not only does the good news come first chronologically in our Christian experience, but it stays foremost in critical importance for creating and sustaining our joy and our fruitfulness, a fact we often overlook. I'm going to read just a couple more paragraphs. A concern expressed by D.A. Carson, Bible scholar and professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, is well justified. He says, I fear that the cross, without ever being disowned, is constantly in danger of being dismissed from the central place it must enjoy. By relatively peripheral insights that take on too far too much weight, whenever the periphery is in danger of displacing the center, we are not far removed from idolatry. Every day we all face temptation to move away from the gospel, to let it drop from our hands and hearts. Three main tendencies in particular tend to draw upon us. Subjectivism, which means our view of God on our changing feelings and emotions. I want to challenge you this week, no matter what's going on, don't feel. Or make your emotions based on God's word, not on how you feel. Don't listen to yourself. Speak to yourself. Let's speak the gospel to ourselves. Legalism, which means basing our relationship with God on our own performance. Ah, I hate that. I'm always doing that. Condemnation, which means being focused on our sin rather than God's grace. God convicts us of sin. I had a morning that... And this is, this is, this is, God be the glory. I had a morning where I, I destroyed something in my bathroom. And I need somebody to help fix it. Quit laughing. (laughs) And it was, it was all because of pride and because of condemnation that I just saw, I just couldn't get out of the wallowing in my sin. What God wants us to do is focus not on the condemnation of sin, but on His grace. And that's why you want to preach the gospel to yourself. Not necessarily to remind yourself of, woe is me, what a crummy person I am. But wow, what a God who delivered me from all past, present, and future sin. And there's nothing that you and I can do. There's nothing that you and I can do. There's not anything that you and I can do no matter how vile it is in treating our kids, our spouse, our co-worker, anything else that will separate us from the love of God. Amen? Let's praise the worthy one. I invite you to stand again. This song is awesome. The words are awesome. And let it just be a song that would send us from this place. And let it be a prayer. Let's just sing these words from our heart.